<laughs> I'm so glad you chose that topic. Um, so that's, that's another topic I've been investigating uh, this past year. So I studied philosophy um, now more than 15 years ago, as you can calculate. Um, but still, it was in, in, let's say, in the back of my mind. And, and more recently, I really tried to connect uh, both the philosophical practice and our foresight tools. And I investigated it and investigated it. And I didn't find much at first. Um, and so I was really interested in trying to, to draft something like really connect tools we use in foresight uh, with practical philosophical ideas. Um, so I scanned over centuries of philosophy. I, I, I am not, uh, let me say from the start, I am not a philosopher myself. So I probably missed a lot. Um, I tried to have a diversity of cultural uh, perspectives, but I probably missed some. So I am probably biased in the fact that I studied in France, uh, so with a strong focus on um, Greek um, and French philosophy. Uh, but I will try to, to give you an overview as large as possible and as comprehensive as possible. For me, I think um, philosophy and futures thinking, I, I want to say that anyone can do it. Or like just, uh, just, well, philosophy is a bit more complicated since it gets a lot more complicated. <laughs> and futures thinking, well, a lot of people will think about the future but they don't realize that features thinking is a term that that's out there that um, us people in this futures foresight field use. It's really interesting that you, you start with this uh, consultation, um, Victor, because I do believe from the start of philosophy, and let me start with the first time we heard about the word philosophy itself. So it was with the Greek, um, with Socrates and Platon, uh, plateau, sorry. Uh, and what's interesting is from the start, the idea that it's something uh, that is said orally, so not something that you write or not complicated concept, but really a conversation that you have in the agora, in the agora, so the place uh, where everybody would gather. Uh, the idea is philosophy is something that everybody can practice. You have it inside yourself, and the basis of philosophy, um, if you go with Aristotle, was himself the disciple of, of Plato, um, this idea of atonement, of being astonished by what happens around. That's the, the start of the philosophical thought. And I think as, as you start asking your, yourself questions about the world, as you start wondering, that's when you start philosophizing. So uh, really at the center of, of the definition of philosophy, there's this element that it's something that's available to everybody. And it, it has... Um, there was a regain this past century of uh, philosophy for everybody because for a few centuries it's true that it has become more and more uh, complex. It was written, uh, there were tons of very big books and it was uh, studied in, um, in, um, in universities um, famous in Switzerland, Germany and so on. And so people were probably disconnected from it. But this past century what happened is especially with, um, once again, I will be focused a little more on France, but what happened in France with uh, people such as Sartre or Simone de Beauvoir or Camus, there was these conversations in cafe happening. So the concept of the philosophical cafe uh, really arrived. People would meet, they would discuss about the world and they would also take action. So it was not just 
philosophy disconnected from the world, but really with that sense of action. So it was strongly connected with um, the communism um, effort in France, uh, so opening uh, resources to everybody. So that was really anchored like that. But then what happened at, at the end of the century is that we really had this at last century, so 20th century, uh, we had more and more philosophical practices in corporations. So it was kind of cool to have a philosophical, um, let's say, introduction and to have this kind of atelier or workshop around philosophical idea. You have it also in schools, even uh, for the younger in kindergarten. There's been all like large initiatives to educate um, the youngest to develop their own critical thinking. So here we really think about philosophy in the terms of critical thinking. And more recently with digital media, wow, it's been super popular. Um, you can think on uh, Clubhouse, the number of rooms you have dedicated to stoicism, like stoicism on the daily. Uh, if you go on Twitter, you have the philosophical um, thought of the day and it has like millions of followers. You have also a lot of podcasts dedicated to the philosophy of everyday life objects which is kind of, of interesting also, the fact that not only the practice um, diversify itself, but also the topic that were explored were more and more accessible. Many, um, this is the idea that you can do philosophy with any object, any fact, any ideas around you. It's not just about the big metaphysical questions. So what's your opinion on futures and a collective future? Or is it, or is, is that a term that you're familiar with or heard of before? Collective future. Uh, I'm not sure I get the, what you mean with a collective future. Is it a concept uh, in futurism, or you mean uh, to to connect it with philosophy? Just to make sure I get the question right. So futures and collective futures. So futures is just many possibilities, right? Many, many different scenarios. But a collective future is where one, um, there's one future, but it involves everyone in the planning of it. Well, that's how I see it. Not sure how you see it or how you want to define collective future. Yeah, definitely. For, for me, it's mostly that I don't see uh, really futures as not collective. <laughs> so for me, it's it's really included in uh, in what most futurists do. Of course, and then I would say some of what we do in futures, you can apply on, on your individual life and so on. But it's really always about building together. And there's this sense of futures literacy and um, propagation or the fact that you want uh, everybody to have these tools and this um, mindset available, uh, wherever they are and wherever they are. But if we connect it with other notions, uh, then it, it really reminds me of the collective good, uh, the common good, something that we want to develop uh, as a society. So the concept of society has been um, as absolutely at the center of uh, philosophy for years and centuries, um, because it, it's a big question about building um, a society that works, but also a society that is fair, and that respects uh, the liberty of, of others, you know, like this, this uh, quote from uh, Immanuel Kant, um, that the freedom of um, people stops where the freedom of other people starts. Uh, so it, the idea is that we don't have an endless freedom, 
And we were talking about it um, also recently with what happened with um, uh, wearing masks and so on in, in, uh, in the US. And you had uh, Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, talking, saying, uh, screw your freedom. And people were obfuscated about uh, the way he pronounced this. And I really like to connect uh, this quote from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, so the former governor of California uh, with philosophy, because this is actually at, at the core of philosophy. And it, it shows you uh, really how um, ideas that people can um, have today can really connect with philosophical fundamentals. And this idea is that the freedom of, of some ends where uh, the freedom of others begins. It's like there are boundaries to our freedom. Nobody can just expect to be infinitely free. So freedom is a central uh, term. And why I connect it with this idea of collectivity is we want to, to uh, build collective futures. We need to have at the center this idea that you cannot please uh, everybody. You have constraints uh, in the way you build your society. You have this limitation that you cannot have an infinite freedom. It's not an infinite uh, resource. It's something you need um, to um, put in opposition to the freedom. Of others. So definitely you can connect what we are building when we think about collective futures with those ideas that have been there for centuries of philosophy. And once again, that's why I think at the core of futures thinking and uh, foresight, uh, philosophy is really always there. It's, it's, it's not just a fancy thing to do to try to connect uh, philosophy to futures thinking. It's really at the core of how we want to build these futures. And you're talking about collective futures. I would also mention better futures. This idea that we want uh, favorable futures, ethical futures. We, we talk about this a lot within the community. And it's definitely connected with all these ideas that we don't want just to think about um, utopian or dystopian future, but to build them, to build the better future we have identified. Um, so yeah, I don't know if fully answered your questions, but these are a few thoughts that um, you provoked. <laughs> well, you did mention, and I was interested in the good futures or the ethical futures. Um, and I want to hear more about that. Like, how did you come up or where did you hear that kind of concept or that term? Yeah, I guess the idea behind uh, ethical futures is the idea that we are not just futurists, I mean, foresight practitioners, are not just hired hands at the service of companies or corporations. They are not just there to put four scenarios, the good, the bad, and so on. It's really about uh, feeling our moral obligation as a futurist and to give uh, some recommendations. So we go from a maybe more of a passive um, passive position where you are just working with stakeholders, uh, let's say you, you are consulting with a big company and you are setting scenarios and then they decide what to do and you empower them, it's okay. But you also have this moral responsibility to push for the more ethical future. So when you get a chance to, to also be heard as a voice and not just as a tool, as a service of the stakeholders, uh, then I believe there's more than just putting scenarios in place and finding opportunities, even in the worst futures. It's also about doing our best to go towards the best futures, the better futures, or the, the more ethical futures. 
And then maybe um, I prepared a few notes. Maybe I, I can uh, I can share with you a few ideas. And now that all leads to um, to ethics, if you want. But if you have questions before uh, Victor, I'm, I'm happy to answer them. So talking about philosophy and the kind of futures, do you think there's as many futures, but n not in a way that you're thinking about, but more like ethical futures, um, better futures, good futures, sustainable futures, uh, econo economical, something like that, but futures, like, is that something that you're interested in exploring, or do you really explore those kind of futures when you're practicing it, when you're approaching how different scenarios may end up? Well, that's probably the complexity of, of the futures. I, I, I haven't made my mind yet. I, I tend to balance between two positions. So the first one is really about um, being as, let's say, as unbiased as possible and really forcing myself to envision different scenarios. So I'm really a big gym data fan. Like I like to consider the growth, constrain, collapse and transform scenarios. Like push yourself in directions you don't necessarily uh, want to go or your brain doesn't want to go uh, because I think that's the first step that's necessary you cannot just hope for a better future and not see all the other aspects so I really like to lay the ground and 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 um, and envision all possible like not all possible futures but at least a plurality of plausible futures but then um in those futures, that, that's when you will be working with stakeholder. And, and if I do research, I can kind of stay at, at, this, stage, at this stage of four, let's say four possible scenarios. Uh, if I write fiction, I can focus on one, which I think is more revealing than another. But if I work on a consulting project with customers, so with stakeholders, um, we will take actions according to the scenarios I push or not. And I will work with them on finding uh, the areas of opportunities in different scenarios. I kind of feel bad if we go in a, in a kind of, uh, let's say, dystopian scenario uh, and I help them find their opportunity in that type of, of future. I feel like I'm not doing my work well because uh, it's like whatever the world is falling apart, uh, my customer needs to make the best opportunity in that future. And and that's also not exactly what I want to do. So sometimes I have this type of ethical or moral conflict um, within myself. And, and of course, I prefer to push for futures which are more ethical. Let's say I work with a, a fashion brand who wants to develop product. And I know that at some point they want to survive as a company. So they want to make profit. So they want to have product that will revolutionize the future. And on my end, I'm do I want to go towards product that I don't feel go well with more human future or more uh, sustainable futures? And that's really a question, like how to uh, make the right strategic recommendations um, for companies who have business constraints and, and business goals while still promoting promoting ethical futures. So I haven't solved it yet. I try to navigate it as good as, as well as I can. Uh, but I think that's kind of the, the moral conflict that uh, futurists have to live with. How do you approach that kind of moral question? So if you find some, 
if you find a brand, how do you approach it yourself? What's some questions do you, do you ask? Do you even do a foresight practice to see what what happened? Or how do you deal with that kind of ethical decision? Well, in the end, I, I have to say I kind of protected myself with the fact that I think I'm stating things, but I don't take the final decision. So that's kind of easy for me because I don't take the final decision. So I can make my recommendations. I try to kind of um, not go in areas where I, would, I wouldn't be aligned with my own values. Uh, but then I don't have the end word because I, I'm really more of a consultant. And so where I can, where I can act, where my uh, domain of control is, my, my field of action is I can make recommendation. I can say, um, you know, and place this philosopher actually voice like, is it the futures you want to co-create? Uh, is it really in that direction that you want to go? I can question them. I can uh, make them go in some other directions, but I never have the end world because in the end uh, they take the decision. And and usually when you work with the innovation practice, which is usually my case, or the product um, product or R and D departments, um, they always have to report then to um, uh, the CFO or the CMO. Or they have to 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 also validate their own ideas. So even if they agree with me, uh, then they there's a whole business behind it and you don't have the final um <clears throat> the final word let's say uh i haven't been working too much with government i think you might have that kind of moral conflict even more when it's really decisions that can affect um society itself um i, I really love actually to to have this more as a group conversation see how you deal with that because i think that that's something hard to, na to navigate and um and that's that's what we also discuss within, uh, you know, we've been launching this conversation with the uh, APF Association of uh, Professional Futurists. We now have a, a regular meetup, like every month, there's maybe 25 of us. And we discuss this moral obligation and how um, to be um, like ethical in our approach and maybe write a moral code of conduct. Or uh, I would say even there's a distinction between moral and ethical. So I prefer I prefer to use ethical because moral uh, morality can be very different from one person to the other, while ethics are something uh, people tend to agree more on. It's something probably more um, collective, as we were talking about previously. So we, we need to have this conversation within the profession um, so that we, we know what the guidelines are. And what I want to underline also when, when I start this conversation uh, during, during such um, events, and thank you once again, Victor, for offering the space, is to ask questions. We don't have all the answers. I cannot tell you today what is um, the code of conduct or the, the guidelines that we should edit um, together, but at least we need to start this conversation. We need to, to try to start drafting ideas and, and not just say, okay, there's a conflict and, and that's it. So I would say there are different steps. First is not acknowledging um, that we have this moral conflict and we need to, to work together on editing uh, ethical guidelines. Then there's the 
let's say the things that will trigger us to action, the first step is, oh, at least we are aware of, of it. So raising awareness, I think at this point is important, but then we need, then we need to conduct it until uh, we build kind of a shorter or um, yeah, collective engagement or commitments to what are uh, good practices, best practices. Because, you know, the, the changes now are exponential and, and, and I'm talking about working with corporate, but there are much bigger topics. So I think now the time has come to really build that effort to, to say what is our job as futurists? How can we push for this better futures without, um, without cutting on some aspect of the methodology? Because I think the methodology is quite strong and the idea <clears throat> that we go see different futures is really what makes it worth it, I think. That we don't just forecast, but we foresee different scenarios. It's really, really core. Cool. So um, we should see how the methodology is strong enough and robust enough to still co-create um, better futures. I would say that, that's the stage we are at today. With philosophy, do you think there is some futures more or less important than another future that someone else created. What's your thoughts on that? Many, many thoughts come to mind. Um, maybe one first thing I, I didn't fully answer um, your previous question. I, I just wanted to add that before I talked about multidisciplinarity and you were asking, um, how do you make sure you, you go towards uh, ethical futures and so on? I really do. I do strongly believe that um, multidisciplinarity is the way to go. Uh, because I think if you just think in terms of technology or economics or anthropology, you will just focus on one aspect. Like let's say with anthropology, uh, you will more focus on just putting the human uh, experience at the center or maybe with economics more uh, profitability, maybe with technology, will, you will be just excited about the development of technology. But really, crossing this type of use, looking back at history, looking on the impact on mental health and psychology and all these aspects is where we can have a bigger picture of the present and of the future. So I, I do believe a way to, to go ethical, um, that, uh, that's maybe just maybe the only uh, assumption I have on this, is really going multidisciplinary. There are other things we are trying to develop, but I think really pushing ourselves to be multidisciplinary is really important. And actually, I, I just checked, um, you know, all this um, program that you have, uh, academic programs to become a futurist. They're usually connected to a discipline. They are not just uh, general futures. It's always connected to a discipline. Let's say um, the Hawaii Research Center for Future Studies uh, at Manoa, you know, they are connected with political science and social science. Uh, if you take the Choco School of, of um, Economics and Finland Futures Academy, they really focus on economics and business administration. Uh, if you take Stellenbosch uh, in, um, in South Africa, uh, they are connected with economics and management. Uh, sometimes it's with strategy and development. Houston, uh, it's more with, a, they really have a multidisciplinary approach and they say uh, they synthesize insights from economics, engineering, sociology, politics, uh, creativity, community building, systems theory. So they 
most of this program really focus on the fact um, that having this multiplicity of lenses can help. When I checked this, I found no, no, I didn't find any program that was linked to a chair of philosophy or um, philosophy oriented uh, university. So that's why also I wanted to investigate it. Trying to figure out my thoughts here, but, you know, between a future of a good citizen versus a future that is thought up and was voiced by someone with a, let's just say a criminal background. How does one futurist or foresight practitioner approach those kind of futures? Is it what's one way to get rid of the the person from the futures and just focus on the future? Yeah, I think that's where that's where scenarios are, are really useful because they can push you to what would be different consequences and. I think there's this example you've probably heard also, which is also a sort of experiment is um, like, I, I I don't have, a, I don't want to express a, um, an opinion about abortion here, but there's this example of a woman who had uh, six kids and uh, someone is asking like, shouldn't she get an abortion after the fifth or the third or the fourth or the fifth kid? And people are, oh, no, absolutely, that's a, absolutely not, that's her choice. Okay, and then this sixth kid ends up being Hitler. So I don't know if you've heard about that sort of experiment, and I'm not even sure that's a reality, but that's one we used to think about. It's like you try to, to just have a small decision, and then it ends up being a major decision. Or you think you are having an ethical decision, and it ends, ends up provoking like, you know, butterfly effect having a major uh, disruptive um, effect. So sometimes the easiest way to go is to say, let's just do nothing when you are not sure about the consequences, because doing nothing, at least it's kind of the course of life. And some people are actually thinking that about climate change, like while trying to always um, fix things, sometimes we create more uh, disequilibrium, you disbalance the world. Um, when you try to uh, support, for example, a species, sometimes uh, you end up killing another one because that species is actually just pursuing the rhythm of its life. And, and so it's hard to deal with ecosystem, for example, what is the right ecosystem? Should we just not uh, try to protect species and just let, so you can always have this position where you say, let's just do nothing, it's easier. But also by envisioning different scenarios, what you do is, if you do well your work and it's not always easy, but is push as much as possible the consequences so that you don't have blind spots. Like you uh, try to consider all the possible consequences of what, what something can lead to. Uh, let's think about autonomous weapon and wars of the futures, which is one of the topics we discussed um, at the APF meetup. If you think about it really like in all its dimension, you think you're maybe um, simplifying the process. You think you're, you are going towards a better future, but then really considering what it means, like not having control over it anymore. It's the same with autonomous uh, cars. It, it's just amplified towards war, but what is a good decision? And that's why I think autonomous car takes so much time to come to life, like for all individuals. It's because 
there are so many uh, possible um, trolley problems uh, implied when you develop the algorithm for for a car. Like uh, if you if you want to avoid a woman uh, with a baby crossing the street, like do you kill the bike on the side? What what should you do? So it's endless. When should you act? When should you not act? But once again, and that's maybe where I don't know if I reassure myself, but at least I found so far that it was a, a good way to think about it is always try to have the best picture as possible. And for doing so, consider different point of view, consider different perspectives. And that means different disciplines and not just consider the economics uh, impact. Don't just consider um, the social progress. Don't just consider the climate impact, like really try to put them all together in the same uh, machine and, and, uh, and find an output that really consider all these components. And one last question that I have for you is like, do you, how do you choose which future is the best one? You know, the, is it the one that's the best outcome for everyone or as much as it can, it can help or, but it also has some kind of consequences as well, but, or do you choose a future that's, you know, neutral, but less risky or less of a consequences for a certain um, species or um, social class or whatever it is. I'm not sure how do you approach or how do you use that or if there's a tool or method that kind of um, explores that. Mm -hmm. Well, once again, I, I go back to the tools to and the process and the methodology uh, to kind of avoid having too much of those dilemma. I, I really have myself a hard time to talk about better futures. I think it's it's first a subjective notions as you're underlining it. It's also dangerous notions and coming once again from Europe and, and we at school we study for years and years what happens in the 20th century uh, during the two world wars so I'm kind of really uh, pressured by all that I, I don't like so much utopia and so on so that's not really the direction my mind usually goes like I, I even try to to work on some projects we were like um, optimistic views of the future, optimistic speculation and so on. And, and that was not natural to me. So I, I always kind of have this warning, like a better future for everyone doesn't really exist for me. So I go back to the tools. And I, as I said um, a little previously, I believe J Jim Data with the four alternative future kind of did a wonderful job. It's kind of a a good tool and then you can elaborate on it, but at least it's a good framework to start with. Um, I go with growth, constraints, collapse, transform, and I push myself to really go in all those directions. Sometimes these are not exactly the, the scenarios, but at least to go in different directions, different plausible futures. And in those futures, something I are positive for some people and some things are negative for other people. It's not like there's a good, scenarios i mean even in a in a collapse scenario probably uh, like let's say what happened yesterday like imagine we go further and and this is the end of social media like is it negative or is it positive it's negative for some it's positive maybe for others maybe it will help new things emerge and so on so i, I wouldn't say even collapse is necessarily 
um, dystopian. It, it's a different way to think about the future. And I differentiate dystopian from collapse scenarios. So I try to push myself in all this direction. Then what is ethical is more the decisions we make within those futures. And that's where probably I can have an impact. Um, let's say we are working um, towards um, sustainability and I'm working, let's take the same example as before, with a brand uh, in fashion and we are trying to develop products of tomorrow and there are two choices between do they want to go uh, towards uh, more uh, health-oriented products, efficient and that's what people have been asking uh, during the pandemic. Like they were not so much interested into sustainability and just efficiency, efficiency of killing germs, efficiency of beauty products and so on. So like, do they want to go in that direction or do they want to go into the full ethical um, futures movement and more sustainable oriented products, natural products that don't um, destroy the environment and so on. And you have to add them uh, find their place within those environments. Like, what is the strategic decisions they should make? And you have to balance between the future scenario you're seeing and uh, their own constraints. What's the brand's uh, assets? What's the brand's uh, values? How do you align with their values? And so on. So I would say it's not just imagining a future that I will push to envision with the people I'm, I'm working with, uh, which is good or bad. It's the decisions they will make within those futures that can have good or bad consequences. And the idea is really to show them what could be opportunities for them um, in those futures and seeing if those opportunities are bringing um, some um, good or bad consequences, mainly. I don't know if I'm super clear. I'm also thinking at the same time as I'm trying to explain. But I would distinguish really uh, the environment building, the world building we do when we create the scenarios. And these are good and bad things, which each of the scenarios, depending on the perspective you look at, depending on the stakeholders you look at, uh, it can be good for economics, but bad for environment and so on and so on. These are different scenarios. And then within these scenarios, it's what role do you want to play? And do you want to contribute to being like the big winner in the scenarios where it's bad for most of the people? Or do you want uh, to be just a medium player in a scenario where everybody is, is kind of feeling more happy? It, it's a type of, of um, dilemma we are dealing with. Yes, well said, well said. And Sylvia, if you want to um, quickly think about just how to wrap this up or if there's any last minute things that you want to mention between philosophy and futures or philosophy and futures thinking or philosophy in the whole foresight futures field in itself. Yeah, I can sum up the few ideas that, that went, uh, went through through the conversation. Um, Maybe in a few uh, in a few bullet points, I would say uh, multidisciplinarity is key to have a plurality of um, uh, stakes, a plurality of lenses, not just consider one perspective, but we try to see from different point of view and different um, different interest. I would say because each 
disciplines kind of bring different uh, goals and different interests. So that's really um, key to me. Um, the second thing is we are still at the beginning of the process by researching um, philosophy of futures. And that was the start of, of my journey. Uh, I realized futures in philosophy were kind of under under considered or understudied. Uh, they were futures were part of something else, but really like the topic in itself. The most active topics of philosophy and futures was really around ethics. And I think uh, that's maybe the, the next bullet point. Um, a lot of the foresight tools we use are actually strongly connected with this um, uh, philosophical and ethical mindsets. Um, I've made a presentation at the Global Foresight Summit uh, last week about 12 conceptions of futurity um, throughout philosophy. So if you're interested to, to go further with the topic, I try to really connect philosopher uh, thoughts with tools that we use in foresight. And then beyond the tools, uh, the question, that's my last point to wrap it up. Um, beyond the tools, what's important is to really uh, consider our moral obligation, uh, our um, will to advance um, ethical futures or ethical actions within those futures. Um, and some work we're doing currently is done with the APF, Association of uh, Professional Futures. And I want to thank you, uh, Victor, for, for offering the space. Uh, I love the title you choose for our session. I hope I answered most of your questions. Of course, if you want to connect further with me, um, I'd be happy to try to answer your questions or engage in further philosophical conversation with you. So that was a pleasure for me. Thank you so much.